0: Chapter 9 of The Mummy and Miss Nitocris. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Mummy and Miss Nitocris A Fantasy of the Fourth Dimension by George Chetwynd Griffith. Chapter 9 The Wilderness Wimbledon Common. The little estate on Wimbledon Common which had been in Professor Marmion's family for three generations, was called the Wilderness. The house was of distinctly composite structure. Tradition said that it had been a royal hunting lodge in the days when Barnes and Putney and Wimbledon were tiny hamlets, and the Thames flowed silver-clear through a vast wild region of forest and gorse and heather, and the ancestors of the deer in Richmond Park browsed in the shade of ancient oaks and elms and beeches, and antler-crowned monarchs sent their hoarse challenges bellowing across the open spaces, which separated their jealously guarded domains. Generation by generation it had grown with the wealth and importance of its owners, as befits a house that is really a home and not merely a place to live in, until it had become a quaint medley of various styles of architecture, from the Elizabethan to the later Georgian. Thus it had come to possess a charm that was all its own, a charm that can never belong to a house that has only been built and has not grown." Its interior was an embodiment in stone and oak and plaster of cosy comfort and dignified repose, and though it contained every modern improvement, all was in such perfect taste and harmony that even the electric light might have been installed in the days of the first James. The professor inhabited the northern wing, reputed to have been the original lodge in which kings and queens and great soldiers and statesmen had held revel after the chase, and tradition had endowed it with a quite authentic ghost— which was that of a fair maiden who had been decoyed thither to become the victim of royal passion, and who, strangely enough, poisoned herself in her despair, instead of getting herself made a duchess and founding the honours of a noble family upon her own dishonour. Although, as I have said, quite authentic, for the professor had seen her so often that he had come to regard her with respectful friendship, the Lady Alicia was not quite an orthodox ghost. She did not come at midnight and wail in distressing fashion over the scene of her sad and shameful death she seemed to come when and where she listed, whether in the glimpses of the moon or the full sunlight of midday. She never passed beyond the limits of the old lodge, and never broke the silence of her comings and goings. None of the present inhabitants of the wilderness had seen her, save the professor, but Nitocris had often shivered with a sudden chill when she chanced to be in her invisible presence, and at such times she would often say to her father, "'There is something cold in the room, Dad. I suppose your friend the Lady Alicia is paying you a visit.' "'I do wish you would allow me to make her acquaintance.' And to this he would sometimes reply with perfect gravity, "'Yes, she has just come in. She is standing by the window yonder.' And this had happened so often that Nitocris, like her father, had come to regard the wraith, or astral body, as the professor deemed it, of the unhappy lady almost as a member of the family. Of course, after he had passed the border into the realm of End of the Fourth, Franklin Marmion speedily came to look upon her visits, as the merest commonplaces. But as the unhappy Lady Alicia will have no part to play in the action of this narrative, her little story must be accepted as a perhaps excusable digression. There were about four acres of comfortably wooded land about the house, of which nearly an acre had formed the pleasance of the old lodge. This was now a beautifully kept modern garden, with a broad, gently sloping lawn, whose turf had been growing more and more velvety year by year for over three centuries and divided from it by a low box-hedge, was another, leveled up and devoted to tennis and new-style croquet. The old lawn, as it was called, sloped away from a broad veranda which ran the whole length of the central wing and formed the approach to the big drawing-room and dining-room, and a cosy breakfast-room of early Georgian style, and these, with her study and snuggery and bedroom on the first floor, formed the peculiar domain of Miss Nitocris. She and the professor were just sitting down to an early breakfast on the morning of the garden party, which had been arranged for the day but one after the arrival of the Hoysmans, when the post came in. There were a good many letters for both, for each had many interests in life. The professor only ran his eye over the envelopes, and then put the bundle aside for consideration in the solitude of his own den. Nitocris did the same, picked one out, and left the others for similar treatment after she had interviewed the cook about lunch and refreshments for the afternoon, and the butler on the subject of cooling drinks, for it promised to be a perfect English day in June, which is, of course, the most delicious day that you may find under any skies between the poles. She opened the one she had selected and skimmed its contents. Then her eyelids lifted, and she said, ''Oh!'' ''What is the matter, Nitty?'' asked her father, looking up from his cutlet. ''Nothing gone wrong with your arrangements, I hope?'' ''Oh, dear, no!'' she replied, with something like exultation in her voice. ''Quite the reverse, Dad!'' This is from Brenda. And Brenda is an angel disguised in petticoats and picture hats. Listen. Then she began to read. My dear Nitty, I am going to take what I'm afraid English people would think a great liberty. The trouble is this. When the professor, mine I mean, was making his tour of the Russian universities two years ago, he received a great deal of courtesy and help from no less a person than the celebrated Prince Oscar OSKOROVICH the modern Skobolev, you know, who was very interested in Papa's work, and took a lot of trouble to smooth things out for him. Well, the prince, as of course you know, is in London now. He called yesterday, and when I mentioned your party, he said he was very sorry he had not the honor of your father's acquaintance as well as mine. The grammar's a bit wrong there, but you know what I mean. That, of course, meant that he wants to come, and, to be candid, I should like to bring him, FOR EVEN AN AMERICAN GIRL HERE DOESN'T ALWAYS GET A PRINCE, AND A FAMOUS MAN AS WELL, TO TAKE around. SO, AS THE TIME IS SO SHORT, MAY WE INCLUDE HIM IN OUR PARTY? IF YOU HAVE FORGIVEN ME, AND ARE GOING TO SAY YES, I MUST TELL YOU THAT THE PRINCE WOULD LIKE TO COMPENSATE FOR HIS INTRUSION, THAT'S THE WAY HE PUTS IT, BY HELPING ENTERTAIN YOUR GUESTS. IT SEEMS THAT HE HAS MET WITH A MAN WHO CAN WORK MIRACLES, AN EGYPTIAN at this point professor marmion looked up again suddenly with an almost imperceptible start and for the first time took an interest in miss hoysman's letter named frederick the prince assures me that he is not a conjurer in the professional sense and would be deeply insulted to be called one also that no amount of money would induce him to give a display of his powers just for money he will come to-day if you like and do wonderful things which from what the prince says "'will astonish and perhaps frighten us a bit, "'but only because the prince once saved his life "'and got him out of a very bad place "'he had gotten into with a Turkish pasha. "'Now that is my little story. "'Please phone me as soon as you can "'so I can let the prince know. "'It will be just too sweet of you and the professor to say yes. "'Your devoted chum, Brenda.' "'Well, Dad,' she asked as she put the letter down, "'what do you say?' ''Just what you want to say, my dear Needy,'' he replied, carefully spreading some marmalade on a triangle of toast. ''Personally, I must confess that I should rather like to see some of this so-called magician's alleged magic. I know that some of these fellows are extraordinarily clever, and I have no doubt that he will show us something interesting, if you care to see it.'' ''Then that settles it,'' said Nitocris, rising. ''I will go and ring up the Savoy at once,'' Perhaps the Egyptian gentleman might be able to help you with that forty-seventh proposition problem of Professor Hartley's. Perhaps, answered Franklin Marmion dryly, and went on with his breakfast. End of chapter 9 Recording by Todd